Give it up for this sexy beast, Richard, right here. <laughs> I don't know what it is with the men in our church. They retire. Tony Sweat, Richard, and then they get this wild urge to grow their hair long. Like when I retire, see, I, I'm really just jealous of people that can grow their hair long. My hair is so kinky and curly, it grows out. You know, my middle name is Lamar. I got a little bit of blood in me. It doesn't grow down. It grows out into an afro. And so there'll be no growing the hair out there. You know what I mean? Hey, we're in the last week of a series that was never supposed to go in the direction that it's went. I had no desire to get up and teach for four weeks on forgiveness. I am way too ADD for four weeks on one single subject. But sometimes you just got to go with how you feel God's leading. You got to go with what seems to be connecting, what seems to be um, questions people seeming to be asked. And it's been a powerful series. And I got to be real honest with you today. This series has kind of made me realize, because we've compared unforgiveness to kind of having a ball and chain around your ankle. And how you carry that ball and chain around with you everywhere you go. And it's made me realize that there's some areas in my life that I probably am still carrying around a ball and chain. There's probably some areas in my life where I have bitterness and anger and resentment and unforgiveness towards others and probably even towards myself in some areas. And so what we've done in this series, we've been covering literally every aspect of forgiveness. The first week, which was supposed to be the only week that we talked about forgiveness, we talked about the benefits for yourself of forgiving those who have wronged you. We talked about the emotional benefits, the physical benefits, the relational benefits. We talked about the spiritual benefits of offering forgiveness. We said from day one, forgiveness is not for the person who wronged you. It's for yourself. It's releasing the ball and chain that you're carrying around. Because here's the reality. The person who hurt you is not even thinking about you. But you get up every day and you're thinking about them. That led to me standing at the back door and people coming up to me saying, man, that sounds amazing, but how do you do it? So the second week, we talked about going into that fourth dimension. We gave you the four Ds, if you will, on how we're able to forgive those who hurt us. And we made it very clear, forgiveness is not forgetting, it's not, it's not excusing, it's not justifying, it's not rekindling a relationship with someone, it's just giving yourself the gift of no longer having a ball and chain around you. That led to me standing at the back door and people leaving and them asking me this question, man, that sounds amazing, how do I forgive myself? So we talked about that last week. If you missed any of, these pod, uh, any of these sermons, you can go to our podcast. You can go to actionchurch.tv. You can listen to those for free. You can go to the podcast on um, your phone, whatever you listen to podcasts on. You can type in Action Church, Canton, Georgia, and you can immediately download those podcasts. I got to be honest with you. I was hoping then we were done with the series. But my wife came up to me after the first week of the series, and she asked me a question. And she said... That sounds really good. I think I've forgiven some people. Bam, 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 bam. But every once in a while, this happens and this happens and this happens. And it makes me wonder, have I truly forgiven? How do you know that you've forgiven someone? And I had no answer for her. I didn't even, because usually my move is this, because I'm a guy. 
Even if I don't have an answer, I'm giving you an answer. And um, I'm that guy that can go all the way around in the answer, and 30 minutes later, I've told you these amazing stories and all these analogies that had nothing to do with the original question, but you have forgotten about the original question because I bored you so bad with my answer that I'm good and we move on and I look like a genius. But I literally looked at her and said, I have no idea. I've never really thought about that. And yet throughout this series, Christine is not the only one who's asked me that question. People have asked me over and over and over, how do you know that you've forgiven someone? People come along, they think they've forgiven someone, they think they've removed the ball and chain from around their leg, they think they've gained the freedom that they crave so much from forgiving and not caring around that, and something comes along, it reignites all those feelings, and you begin to ask yourself, have I forgiven that person. Until recently, literally the last month, I've never thought about the answer to that question. I've never studied out the answer to that question. I didn't have the answer to that question. But like I have told you every Sunday since I have been the pastor of this church, I believe with everything that is in me, every answer to any question you have is found right here in this book. And when I tell you God revealed a story to me that is the ultimate in forgiveness that is the ultimate in what forgiveness looks like it was almost like I couldn't write fast enough to get it down and before I get into that I've got to kind of show you before I can show you the after effects I've got to show you the before effects I've got to show you what led up so it's going to get a little bit boring I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story if you ever have taken notes on a sermon before this is probably the sermon you want to take notes on but I got to give you the history to get us to the point where the forgiveness is put into action where I can show you what true forgiveness looks like there's a story in Genesis that is found in the book of Genesis about a dude named Joseph and this sermon, like I said, is going to be a lot different. I can't preach to you today. I just got to, I got to teach you today. I got to show you kind of step by step through this story, how it unfolds, and just show you. And we got to go back 22 years, 22 years before the forgiveness is in place to show you where the need for forgiveness started. So Joseph was this cat. He was this dude. He was the son of a guy named Jacob. And not only was he the son of Jacob, he was the favorite son of Jacob. I don't really understand that concept of having favorite children, but there was no doubt about it, Jacob's favorite child was Joseph. His father made no secret about the fact that Joseph was his favorite. So much that he made him this elaborate coat. We know the story, the coat of many colors. He made him this beautiful beautiful distinctive coat that a son got to wear that signified he was the favorite so here's joseph he's prouncing around in this special coat and joseph was a dreamer he had dreams and so joseph prancing around in this coat he's the favorite of his dad he begins to have some dreams and the dreams in themselves were not wrong you cannot help what you dream but the way he went about telling people about these dreams in every shape and form rubbed the brothers wrong. What it did was it showed that Joseph was in a place in his life of immaturity. It showed that he had zero humility. 
And he lacked the sensitivity, if you will, to be able to communicate the dreams to his brothers. Here's what the dream said. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. So he just walks up to the brothers. I'm the favorite. Hey, check out this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright. And your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. I bet the brothers were like, yeah, really? That's cool. You're saying we're going to bow down to you one day? You're saying you're better than us? You arrogant little prick. You know? His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him. Check this out. All the more. They already hated Joseph. Why? Because he was the favorite. Now he's arrogant. Now he's cocky. Now he's flaunting it in their face. And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. Then he had another dream. He's so dumb, he don't learn the first time that he's burning bridges. And he said to his brothers, he said, listen, I had another dream. This time the sun and the moon and 11 stars, there was 11 brothers, the sun and the moon, daddy and mama, were bowing down to me. Listen, I had this dream. 11 jokers and a man and a woman bowed down to me. You, mom, dad, and all you were bowing down to me because I'm Joseph, I'm the favorite. Boom, check out my coat. Doesn't take a genius to figure out what these dreams meant. Now listen to this, don't miss this. The dreams were from God. But Joseph was straight up a jerk in how he went about communicating those dreams. He was an a-hole, if you will, in how he went about conveying those dreams. And his dreams angered his brothers so much, don't miss this, it angered the brothers so much that they decided to kill Joseph, their brother. I've made no secret about it. I don't care for my sisters too much, especially one of them. But I never want to kill her. Punch her in her face, possibly. Never want to kill her. <laughs> After they settled down a bit, they calmed down. It's always good to calm down, ain't it? The brother decided, man, let's not kill him. Let's make a little bling-bling off of him. Let's sell him into slavery. The lesser of the evils, I guess, if you will. So then they got to go back to dad and explain to dad why the favorite child is no longer around. So they took the coat of many colors. Man, they were slick. They were smart. We got to figure out to justify this. They went and dipped it into blood, goat's blood, pulled it back out, went to him and said, man, we found this coat. Let me get to it. They said, we found this coat. It's covered in blood. I like this part. Could, could it be Joseph's coat? You know it's Joseph's coat. Nobody had a coat like him. He recognized it, the father and said, it's my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him, and Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth, and he mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue 
to mourn until I joined my son in the grave so his father wept for him. They destroyed their father. He said, until the day I die, I will mourn him. And as horrible as this situation seems, I don't know about you, it seems pretty horrible to me. You're a little arrogant, you're a little cocky. We've all been guilty. Gary Lamb, a little bit more guilty than others. I ain't ever had anybody, I don't think, want to sell me into slavery because of my cockiness. Punch me in the mouth, maybe. Sell me into slavery, man, that's hardcore. But God was working things out. Can I tell you, by the way, this ain't the sermon today, but in the midst of your mess, in the midst of your chaos, in the midst of everything that seems like it's going wrong in your life, God is working things out. As a slave, Joseph begins to work in the house of Potiphar. Potiphar was a very um, powerful man in Egypt. He was an Egyptian officer. He, he, he was such an awesome slave. Joseph was the best worker that Potiphar had. That he was eventually put in charge of the entire household. The Bible says Joseph was a handsome man. He was a built man. He was an in-shape man. And after a little time, Potiphar's wife, she begins to get eyes for Joseph. She makes her move on Joseph. She throws herself at Joseph. And over and over and over again, Joseph refuses her advances. Till one day she physically and literally grabs Joseph to have sex with him. He turns from her to run. And when he turns, she jerks off his robe. She's so embarrassed, she's so angry that she has been turned down by this slave that she goes to her husband and says, Joseph tried to attack me. Here's his coat. It's ripped. I got it off of him and he took away. And Potiphar took, uh, took his wife's side instead of Joseph's side. So the joker who's been sold into slavery, made the best out of the situation in slavery, has now been falsely accused and he's put in jail. Don't miss this. For doing the right thing. <laughs> Brother sell him into slavery, falsely accused for knocking boots with a woman he wasn't knocking boots with. And now he's in jail. And to make it worse, God allowed all these things to happen. God allowed him to be sold into slavery. God allowed him to be falsely accused and thrown into prison. Humanly speaking, if there was anyone who ever had a reason to be bitter, angry, and full of unforgiveness towards his brothers because this was all because his brothers sold him into slavery, it was Joseph. If there was anyone who had a reason to hold a grudge, it was Joseph. In Joseph's young life, things have not went as planned, and they're getting worse. He's now in prison. You say, it can't get any worse. Oh, it gets worse. While he is in prison, he's joined by Pharaoh's cupbearer and his baker. Two, Pharaoh was the, the king. The cupbearer, the man who would drink the wine before he would drink it, and his baker somehow <laughs> rubbed Pharaoh wrong, and they're thrown in prison. While they're in prison, the baker and the cupbearer, they have dreams. Joseph interprets those dreams. Joseph had the ability to interpret people's dreams. He said, the cupbearer, he said, your dream means this. Cupbearer, you will be set free in a few days. 
Pharaoh's going to move on, he's going to forgive you, and you're going to be set free. He told the baker, he said, in a few days, Pharaoh is not going to forgive you, and you will be hung for what he's accused you of. Both events took place. The cupbearer set free, the baker's killed. Joseph, while telling the cupbearer his dreams, decides to take matters into his own hands, and he does something that I think every one of us would have done. He said, this is what's going to happen. Now, when they set you free, do me one favor. Please tell Pharaoh about me. Tell him that I interpreted your dream. Tell him that, I, that, that I'm a good person and that I've been falsely accused and I'm in here and see if Pharaoh will release me. <laughs> Please do that. The Bible says this, but when all goes well, this is what Joseph told him. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcefully carried off from the land of the Hebrews. Even here, I have done nothing to deserve. He said, man, I don't deserve to be here. I was sold into slavery. I did nothing wrong, and now I'm with you. Please just remember me. And guess what the cupbearer does? He forgets. And for two more years, Joseph sits in prison. Did you hear what I just said? For two more years. Some people are cut out for prison. I am not one of those people. I have a prison plan. I'm not proud of my prison plan. But my prison plan consists of this. The first dude I see with his pocket like that, I'm grabbing it. And I'm hanging on. And I'm on the biggest dude that has his pocket out. And I'm going to call him daddy or whatever he needs to be called to keep me alive. That's my prison plan. You say, you've thought a lot about that. I have. Christine will tell you my biggest fear in life is to go to prison. I am too sexy for prison. Okay? It's just not going to happen. Not going to happen. It scares me to death. So he's been in prison. And what he doesn't realize is God's leaving him in prison. Because he wasn't ready to be set free. He wasn't at a place of forgiveness yet. He's still angry. Remember, I, I was falsely accused. I don't belong here. Just tell him. God still had some work to do in Joseph's life. But two years later, he was ready. Two years later, he had let go of the hurt that had been done to him. And, and you can see it in the way he responds. Two years after interpreting the cupbearer's dreams, Pharaoh, the big dog, the cupbearer is always around Pharaoh. Pharaoh has a dream. And nobody can interpret the dream. He brings all the wise men in, all the, the, uh, the, the council in, and no one can interpret what Pharaoh's dream means. And suddenly the cupbearer remembers Joseph. And he says, man, when I was in prison, I met this guy. He interpreted my dream, and exactly what he said would happen, happened. So Pharaoh brings Joseph in front of him. Don't miss it's about to get good here. Pharaoh brings Joseph in front of him, and Joseph interprets his dream. He tells Pharaoh, here's what your dream means. Egypt is going to have seven years of just an amazing harvest, seven years of doing good, seven years of thriving, seven years of um, prospering, seven years of everything going amazingly well. Then... It's going to be followed by seven years of famine. Nothing is going to grow. Nobody's going to have abundance. It is going to be horrible. He said, here's what I suggest you do. 
during those first seven years, you need to put a plan in place to store as much harvest as you can, store as much grain as you can, as much cattle as you can, as much water as you can. Let's store up everything we can the first seven years so we can survive the last seven years. And Pharaoh is so impressed, guess what he does? He puts Joseph in second in command right underneath him in all of Egypt. Suddenly, the little slave boy is the second most powerful person in Egypt. Wow. It had been 22 years in the making. The seven years happens. The seven years of famine comes along. And guess who comes to the Joseph and the Pharaoh needing food to go back home? The brothers. 22 years later, they don't recognize Joseph. They haven't thought about Joseph. They haven't seen Joseph. He's now dressed like an Egyptian. He's second in command in Egypt. And the last person on their mind that they think they're standing before is their brother. Oh, by the way, BTW, they're not standing in front of him. They're bowing in front of him. Oh, remember that dream he had? Now, I don't know. Oh, you like that? Uh-huh. Hey, check it, check it, check it. This is the moment Joseph has been waiting for. You sold me into slavery. I haven't seen my family and my father in 22 years. Because you sold me into slavery, I was falsely accused, and I spent years in prison. I have worked my way out of it, and now here I am, and you have the nerve to come and ask me for help. I don't know about you, but I'd be licking my chops for this moment. I don't know how I'd go about it. I'd probably go back and say, hey, guys, let me tell you a story. And I'd begin to tell the story just waiting for it to click in their head of who I am and what they did. And they'd be like, you're hungry? Tough, get out. Let's be honest with you. You say you let them starve, I'd let them starve. In my human nature, I would. I'd let them starve. I'd remind them that payback is hell. I'd remind them, hey! Remember when you got all mad about that dream? Get back on your knees and bow to me again. Because I'm just an arrogant person like that. So that's not very godly. Let me repeat that. I'm an arrogant person like that. I would delight in it. I, I, I love it. I, I delight now in proving people wrong. I, I delight when I run into people who said I would amount to nothing and never do anything, and I'm like, hey, surprise, boom. I love it. There's just something exhilarating about it. If this had been me, I'd have given them nothing. But Joseph's not me. And Joseph looked down at his brothers, and all he has is forgiveness. He has no bitterness, no anger, no resentment. And as you see the story unfold, you'll see that he gave his brothers everything they needed. Not only did he give his brothers everything, he moved them all to Egypt and set them up and put them in a place and took care of his dad. And he offered the ultimate in forgiveness. But here's the best part. 
he lays out some things that make it so obvious he had forgiven. So when you ask the question today, how do I know I've forgiven? Let's look at some of the things Joseph did. Joseph gives us some pretty good barometers, if you will, that we can measure ourselves by. The first thing is this, and you all take your phone out and take pictures because we're going to get real deep and it's going to make you real uncomfortable. When you don't feel the need to let everyone know you were wronged, you've forgiven. <laughs> I don't know about you. Again, I don't want to accuse you of anything, so I'm going to talk about me. And some of you might be like, well, that's the most ungodly pastor. I'm never coming back. That's cool. I accept that. But I'm going to be honest with you. Amen. When someone has screwed me over, I want everyone to know. Everyone. I go out of my way to make sure everyone knows. And I'm slick. I'm slick willy about it, baby. I ain't just going to come out and say, hey, Jim Bob over here did this, this, and this. I'm going to drop a hint to you. I'm going I'm to post one of my famous passive-aggressive posts on Facebook where you wonder who I'm talking about, and then you're going to message me. I'm like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Knowing I want to talk about it. Knowing I want you to come back, because they're going to come back and say, well, I mean, I get it, but, but I've heard some things. Oh, what have you heard? Then you're going to hear something that wasn't exactly the truth, and that's going to be my door. That's not exactly the truth. I'm going to feel like I'm doing the right thing. That's not exactly the truth. Let me tell you exactly what happened. I do it to feel better. It's like I'm trying to clear things up, but I'm really just trying to let you know this person's a piece of trash, and they screwed me over, and I hope they die, and I'd kill them right now if I could see them, and I hate their guts. Just saying that's what I, I would feel like, and I'm going to let you know every detail. But not Joseph. When you don't feel the need to let everyone know you were wrong, you've forgiven. Joseph had forgiven. He wasn't carrying around the ball and chain of unforgiveness. Check it out. He had no desire for everyone to know that the men in front of him had been wrong. Check it out. Check it out. Lays it right out. Genesis 45.1. Then when Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. Remember, all the attendants, all the, his workers, everyone's in front of him. The brothers have bowed down. He cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. That's powerful to me. He's about to unveil who he is to his brothers. He's about to confront his brothers about the way they have wronged him. And let me tell you something. You think you've been wronged in life, baby. You ain't been wronged near like Joseph was. They sold him into slavery. That's hardcore. He's about to confront them. But he doesn't feel like he needs to let everyone else know what they've done. I'd have wanted everyone to know. You know who I am? I don't want everybody around me to go, oh, oh, look at these people, they're scum. I would want everyone to know, even if I was going to forgive them, I'd want everyone to know what they did wrong, where it made me look better that I'm forgiving them. You say, you're a horrible person. I, I'm, I'm just telling you how I'd feel about it. I think if you were to be honest, a lot of you feel the same way. But he wanted everyone out of the room. He was going to confront them, and you can confront those that have wronged you. But he had no desire to make it known to everyone else that they had done something wrong. Why? Because he had forgiven. See, Joseph had a plan. He saw the brothers, but there was somebody missing. Daddy was missing. And he wanted the brothers to bring back their father and their families 
so they could all be together again. No one in Egypt needed to know what the brothers had done because Joseph knew if they know what these guys have done to me, they'll hate them. They'll look at them horribly. They'll want to kill them. You've got to remember, Joseph is a god in Egypt. He saved Egypt from the famine. There's nobody that could have been thought of more highly than Joseph. And if he would have called the brothers out in front of everyone and let everyone know what they had done wrong, those people would have hated him. They wouldn't have made it out of the country. But he's in a place of forgiveness. He didn't feel the need to expose them to everyone. <laughs> Throughout this series, I reminded you that we forgive because God's forgiven us. This is exactly how God forgives us. What would we think of God if God forgave us? He said, I'm going to let everybody know what you did, though. I'm going to go right in the clouds. I'm going to forgive you, but you're going to look like an idiot. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. God forgives us. Let me go ahead and encourage you today. We live in a day and time where there's a lot of encouragement in public speakers. Let me go ahead and enlighten you on some things. Everybody here at one time or another has been trash. I don't like that. I don't care. There ain't a person here today who hasn't hurt somebody, wronged somebody, done something crooked to somebody to look out for your own self. It's human nature. And our Heavenly Father forgives us, and He doesn't broadcast it to the world. Acts 3.19 says our sins are wiped out. Because of the forgiveness of God, our sin doesn't exist anymore. God doesn't bring them back up later. Hello? He doesn't try to embarrass us. He's not broadcasting it on the television. We're forgiven. If God forgave us but told everyone all our wrongdoings, we feel betrayed by God. I thought you forgave him, but you keep bringing it back up. Joseph was going to confront him, but he didn't feel the need to confront him in front of everyone. When you don't feel the need to let everyone know you've been wronged, you've been forgiven. And here, here's the truth, and this hurts. The only reason we tell people what others did to us, don't miss this, the only reason we tell others what people did to us is to punish them. They're my friends. I need someone to talk to. No, you want your friends to hate them as much as you do. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. Gary Lamb, guilty as charged. If I don't like you, Bubba better not like you. I'm going to call him immediately. Tell you what this joker did to me. I don't even know who that is. Do you hate him? I hate him. Good. That's how we roll. That's how unforgiveness rolls. Second thing. When you want those who hurt you, to forgive themselves, <laughs> you've forgiven. Joseph confronts the brothers. He tells them who he is. They were confused. Huh, who? So he repeats himself. Remember 22 years ago? He sold me into slavery. <laughs> Joseph said to his brothers, I like this, I like this explanation point. I'm an explanation point guy. I am Joseph. 
the guy you sold into slavery. I know you don't recognize me right now because I'm dressed like an Egyptian and I'm ruling this thing like the boss I am. But it's me. You thought I was dead. You thought you'd never have to hear from me again. Surprise! I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were unable to answer him because they were terrified of his. I bet they were. I bet they were terrified. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he repeated them, saying, I am your brother Joseph. And in case you forgot what you did to me, the one you sold into slavery, the one you sold into Egypt, this is huge. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. He doesn't ignore what they did. He doesn't pretend it didn't happen. That's where some of you get confused with forgiveness. I can't forget because I'll never forget. He didn't forget. Trust me, he remembered. He knew why he was where he was. I'm just not going to confirm. Nothing good comes out of it. He confronted them. He doesn't ignore what they did. He doesn't pretend it didn't happen. He simply identifies himself to them, and then he immediately responds, immediately responds, because he knows immediately the guilt that they're feeling. And he realizes that he needs them to forgive themselves if he's going to accomplish his plan to get his family back together. Look what he says. And now, it's me, Joseph. You sold me into slavery. But don't be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save, it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. He said, it's me, but don't beat yourself up about it. I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, I'm the guy that's like, I'll forgive you, but I want you to feel horrible about it. Just being honest. I forgive you, but I hope your marriage falls apart. I forgive you, but I hope you lose everything. I forgive you. Oh, that's my favorite one right here. I forgive you, but I hope someone does to you what you did to me. Mm. We say we forgive, but we really want to see those who hurt us punished. We love to see those who hurt us feeling guilty. I don't want you to feel guilty. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. That's why you bring it up all the time. That's why you can't let it go. You want to see them suffer. But Joseph is at a whole nother level in forgiveness. He's been sold into slavery, he's been in prison. He's been separated from his family, and he has this peace about him, this amazing peace called forgiveness. Because he had forgiven them, he had no desire for his brothers to carry around that guilt. He knew what that guilt was like. He didn't let them forget what they had done, but he wanted them to be able to forgive themselves where restoration could begin. Joseph took, how do I know I've forgiven Joseph took no pleasure in their misery because he had forgiven. I used to have this person in my life that screwed me over. And I tell you, I had forgiven them. And I, I thought I had forgiven them. But every time I heard something bad in their life, I'd chuckle. <laughs> Payback's it. That's what I'd say. Reap what you sow. 
so what you reap, whatever. Got what you deserved. <laughs> Karma! I hope they ain't forgiving themselves. But he had forgiven. He was no longer miserable. And because he wasn't miserable, he had no desire for other people to be miserable. Gary, how do we know that we've truly forgiven? When you don't feel the need to let everyone know you were wronged, you've forgiven. When you want those who hurt you to forgive themselves, you've forgiven. Oh, this next one's hard. When we're willing to let those who hurt us save face, we've forgiven. <laughs> when we let those who hurt us save face, we've forgiven. <laughs> I hate this sermon. hate it. This goes against everything that is in me. I might be to the point where I don't have to tell everyone what you did. I might be to the point where I want you released of your guilt. But under no circumstances am I going to allow you to think by you hurting me it turned into one of the best things that ever happened to me. Even if it's true. I will not give you that. Humanly speaking, I never want to give you that satisfaction. The next verse, man, to me, shows Joseph's a whole other level of forgiveness, man, that I don't know that I've ever achieved, to be honest with you. He said, it's me, your brother, don't feel angry, blah, blah, blah. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and a ruler of Egypt. Joseph looks at his brothers and he never one time tells them, what you did to me was horrible. He looks at him and says, hey, what you did to me, God used for good. You thought you were hurting me? You thought you were destroying me? You thought you were ruining my marriage? It's stronger than ever. You thought you were ruining my finances? I got more money than I've ever had. You thought you were killing me by starting over? Hey, I started over and learned all my lessons from the first time. Hey, you think you hurt me? You helped me. That's forgiveness. He said, yeah, somebody clapped to that. He said, you... Look, 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 I'm going to let you save face. You think you did something bad? What you did was the best thing that ever happened to me he said look at me now i wouldn't be here if you guys hadn't been such big jerks because you got to understand something we look at what happened to joseph and we think it was horrible and it was but guess what god wasn't surprised by it guess what God allowed it to happen. I'm not saying God wanted it to happen. Don't miss that. 
but God allowed it to happen. Are you saying God wants all the terrible things that go in my life to happen? No, sometimes we're just stupid and do stupid stuff. But God allows those things to happen. And in the midst of stupid stuff, God makes greatness. <laughs> because, I got to stop for a minute. It has nothing to do with the sermon. Who plays right here? Brad? Brad, is this your spot? Are those your cookies? So you leave cookies up on this stage for me to have to eyeball the entire time I'm preaching. Knowing I ain't had a sweet in 21 days and them cookies are talking to me. I'm trying to preach the word of God and you got cookies up here tempting me. I hope that you got the bad batch of cookies. I forgive you. Back to the sermon. Man, my mouth is like saliva coming down it. Look at them cookies. God wasn't surprised by it. Joseph now is in a position to do great things. And God does the same thing to you and I. And we know that in all things, God works together for good to those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. I've told many people this, and people get shocked when I say it. Over the years, I have had people tell me, this blows my mind, but I've had people tell me, there was infidelity in their marriage. And them tell me the infidelity in our marriage was the greatest thing that ever happened to our marriage. It was horrible at the time. It hurt at the time. But we're stronger than ever because of it now. I have had addicts tell me the best thing that ever happened to me was that I relapsed. And when I got a taste of it again, this is a rare breed that they're able to do this. It doesn't happen to all of them. I realized I never wanted to go back to that lifestyle again. I'll tell you this, you know one of the best things that ever happened to me? I don't tell this story much. I lost everything 10 years ago. And so about nine and a half years ago, I went bankrupt. Most embarrassing thing. If there was, so you know how you had that one thing your dad stresses to you your whole life? My dad stressed no debt to us and managed your finance. Man, like that was his calling card, which is funny because he did a horrible job at it. And maybe because he did a horrible job, that's why he stressed it to us so much. And then I had to file for bankruptcy. I lost everything. Do you know that financially speaking, the best thing that ever happened to me was filing bankruptcy? Because now I have sound financial principles. Now I know how to manage my money. When you're forced to live on cash, it's amazing how you learn to manage your money. Now I have a credit score where I can get a loan for anything I want, and it doesn't even cross our mind because something horrible happened and we learned from it. When I filed for bankruptcy, man, it was the biggest guilt-ridden day of mine because I felt like I had let my dad down. Because we're weird about that with our parents sometimes. Turned into the best thing that ever happened to me because I learned from that. These brothers thought they had done something horrible, but God used it for something great. And, and, and Joseph knew it enough that he was willing to allow the brothers to say, man, hey, don't beat yourself up. It's the best thing you ever did to me. In the Old Testament, when David had an affair, and then he killed the lady's husband, that wasn't God's plan. It wasn't God's plan for David to kill Bathsheba's husband, marry Bathsheba. But guess what? In Matthew chapter 1, David and Bathsheba are in the lineage of Jesus. Something that was never supposed to happen, and yet they're in the lineage of Jesus. They're in the family tree of Jesus. God took something horrible and made it good. God took something awful and made something wonderful. 
I don't know why you went through the hurt that you went through, but I know God had a purpose in it. You can choose to dwell on the hurt by the person caused you, or you can choose to dwell on the fact that God did something great and allowed them to save face. How do you know we forgive him when you allow him to save face? Oh, don't miss this one. When you decide forgiveness is a lifetime commitment, you have forgiven. Because i got to be honest with you. What I'm thinking, what happened here is exactly how I played my cards. I, I've learned that when I think I, when I haven't, I, I've learned when I haven't truly forgiven someone, what happens is I forgive for periods. But things come along and they trigger that resentment. They trigger that bitterness. They trigger that anger. True forgiveness isn't forgiveness today. Don't miss this because it's going to upset some of you. This is going to be the calling card unless you realize you haven't forgiven. True forgiveness isn't forgiveness today. I'm back to unforgiveness tomorrow. Check this out because I'm telling you how to play my cards here. I'm a horrible human being is what I've learned from this sermon. <laughs> 17 years after Joseph moves his brothers and his dad back to Egypt where he can have the family together, Jacob, the father, dies. As soon as dad dies, guess what the brothers do? They begin to panic. He was only keeping us alive because of dad. He was only taking care of us because of dad. He was only doing this because he loved dad so much and dad loved him so much and he didn't want to upset dad. But now that dad has died, they thought as long as Jacob was alive, they were good. But the minute he died, he'd take revenge on them. They thought the minute dad died, Joseph was going to come get him. And, and it makes sense that they thought this, because again, that's how I'd play it. I'm going to get you, boys. My father-in-law has a saying, I love it. He says, vengeance is a, a dish best served cold. And that's how I'd have played it, because I'm patient. Dad's already been through too much. I'm going to let you guys live. Matter of fact, I want you to get comfortable. Like that big house? Like that money? Like that government job, 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, I got you? You like being my brothers in this town because I got all the power? Just get comfortable. Because when daddy dies, I'm going to destroy you. That's horrible. Eh, probably so, just being honest. That's why I got to walk in the spirit. I don't walk in the spirit, I'm a horrible person. <laughs> but Joseph was at another level of forgiveness. He wasn't waiting for the day he could enact revenge, he had forgiven. The brothers even came up with a lie and went to Joseph and said, it's dad's dying wish that you not take revenge on us. Dad was like, man, these are some crappy people. They're lying again. Look at old Joseph. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? I like it even because he reminds them what they did. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of so many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. 
chill. I'm not waiting for my moment. I'm not waiting for my opportunity. I'm not waiting for you to get jab, jab, or I can come along and deliver the uppercut. I know you don't understand this because your piece is a trash. You are still scheming. But I've forgiven you. Don't miss this too. They were still pieces of trash who were scheming. Don't miss this. They hadn't changed. (laughs) But he still forgave them. He's at peace. He's not rocking the ball and chain. Matter of fact, he's living in the palace second in command. He's not worried. What's the old saying? A lion's not worried about the sheep. He ain't worried about them. Breathe. I think Joseph knew in his own mind, the best revenge I can get to you guys is let you live the way you're living right now. You live with your guilt. You live with your fears. I forgive you. I forgave you and it was a lifetime commitment. You're still lying and you're still scheming. But I told you I forgave you 17 years ago. And I still forgive you today. How do you know you've forgiven? Man, Joseph is laying it out right here. Last, and I'm done. When you can pray for those who've hurt you to be blessed, you've forgiven. Don't miss this. I just read the verse to you. It wasn't enough to Joseph for the brothers to know he had forgiven them. He turned around and he blessed them. He told them, he said, I'm going to provide for you. You're not going to have to worry about anything. You say, he was weak. He's stronger than you ever thought about being. Joseph's a bad dude. You want to talk about a success story. You want to talk about everything being thrown against him and him coming out on top. Joseph was a success story. He went to Pharaoh on their behalf. He moved them into the land. Nobody was getting moved into the land at this time. They were allowed to get food as a debt that they had to pay back when the famine was over. He moved them into the land. He made sure they were successful. He took care of them. He blessed the ones who did him wrong. One of the biggest indicators you've truly forgiven someone is when you can pray for them. (laughs) Let me clarify. Because I used to pray for them. I used to even justify it from this stage. God, don't tell me how to pray for them. I pray he kills them. I pray for some people to be dead. I have prayed for people to be destroyed. I have prayed for people to be exposed. You say, you're horrible. I know. I'm not trying to make light of it. In my flesh, man, I am a horrible man. But I told you, if there's any area in life I've grown, it's the area of forgiveness. That's why I can go four weeks on it. That's someone said, you just seem, I'm passionate about that. I I get it. Man, I don't got time to live with unforgiveness. Life's too short. (laughs) Who's strumming the guitar? Well, it's kind of coming through the sound system as he strums it. I was just saying. I'm trying to forgive all you. Well, do y'all just need a lot of forgiveness today? Cookies and strumming guitars. Back to the sermon. 
I used to say, man, I pray for God to kill them. Now I pray for God to bless them. And it's game-changing. Matthew 5, 44 says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I don't know that I believe that. I don't care. Take it up with God. I didn't write the book, baby. I don't give a crap if you like it. There's not a greater indicator of whether you've been set free than you being able to pray for God to bless those who hurt you. God, I pray for their marriage. I pray for their finances. I pray for their children. I pray for their career. When you get to the point where you can ask God to bless them, show favor to them, prosper them, rather than punish them, you have truly forgiven. Check this out. Everybody knows the story of Job. Remember, Job suffered more than anyone, remember, in the Bible? Man, everybody's like, man, you're having a Job. Man, he lost everything, lost his family, lost everything. But check it out. Job's suffering didn't end in the book of Job until he got to the point he could pray for those friends who had become his thorn in the flesh. Job 42.10. After Job had prayed for his friends, now you've you got to go back and understand this. His friends were horrible people. They were questioning, asking him what he had done wrong, blah, blah. They weren't friends. After Joseph had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. I wonder if God's not blessing you because you're not praying for the blessings of your enemy. Mm. Stephen, remember Stephen, he got stoned? Stoned by throwing rocks. Clarify that here at Action Church. You're like, heck yeah, I love Stephen. He got stoned. No, he was standing for Jesus. They threw rocks at him and killed him. Not stoned. Stoned. Can you tell? I don't know what I'm doing. Whatever. <laughs> then he fell on his knees. They're stoning him. He's not stoned. They're stoning him. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against They're killing him. They're throwing rocks at him till he dies. What a horrible way to die. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When you get to the point, you can pray for blessing for those that have wronged you. Chances are really good you've reached that level of forgiveness. How do I know I've forgiven someone? It's pretty easy. Now let me rephrase that. It's not easy. It's hard. But the indicators are there. When you don't feel the need to let everyone know you were wronged, you've forgiven them. When you want those who hurt you to forgive themselves, you've forgiven. When we're willing to let those who hurt us save face, <laughs> you've forgiven. When you decide forgiveness is a lifetime commitment, you've forgiven. When you can pray for those who hurt you to be blessed, you've forgiven. So here's the deal. None of those things are easy. And none of those things happen outside the power of God. And every person here today who's ready to argue with me on this sermon, save it. I don't have time. Blah, blah, blah. Well, what about, brother? Or what about, brother? Shut up. If you're not ready to forgive, that's between you and God. You don't got to justify it to me. I ain't the priest. 
I ain't giving you a Hail Mary. And, 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 and don't mean this in a jerkish way. I really don't care. You hold on to the unforgiveness, you miserable wretch. I'm not living there. My house ain't living there. I've seen this lived out in my house in the last two years and the change and blurring what forgiveness is and it's game changing. You be miserable in your own house. I still love you and I'm here for you. Argue with God, I didn't write the story. I mean, it couldn't be laid out any more clearly than right there. I mean, it's laid out. That book is amazing. But you don't know what they did to me. Let me make this clear to you. Unless they sold you into slavery and you became a prisoner, I don't want to hear it. Matter of fact, even if they sold you into slavery and became a I don't want to hear it because that's what happened to Joseph and he still forgave. You have no excuse. Now you've got to get to the point where you can do that. Those are just some indicators. Let's pray.